So welcome to the session on the 6th of December. We're talking about guidance that we receive from highly evolved beings around the ultimate state of being fully present, fully awakened. And we're talking about mm, the difficulty that mind has to grasp the truths of what they're saying, because there is the fundamental barrier between total acceptance and where you are now. And I think a lot of that is based on the way that we interpret what we're reading, that we're coming at it from the viewpoint of a belief system, conditioning, limitation, ego, all those things are telling us the very opposite of what they're telling us. And even when they give us pointers, we might momentarily glimpse the truth of what they're saying, but it's another thing entirely to be able to live that constantly. And so when Eckhart Tolle says, you know, talks about the power of now and being present, we can do it for a short while. But the challenge is how you maintain that state. And so you get into a discussion about what is the process that needs to occur to get from where we are now to the state. And hence arises this concept of a journey, a path of work to be done. Or knowledge to be gained. Or knowledge to be gained. <laughs> but in fact, as the Dalai Lama often talks about, it's not what you gain, it's what you drop. It's what you lose that's more important than what you gain. So in a way, and, and this accords very nicely with um, the basic proposition that we make here a lot, and that is that what you seek, you already have. And so what is it that you drop? It's the notion that you don't already have it. Right? And, but you have to, it has to be authentic. It can't just be intellectual. It can't just be, oh yeah, okay, I can do that now. Because that's fine for as long as things are going along okay, but the moment a distraction comes or a conflict, you're back to where you were. And so in a way, the process is one of climbing up a mountain. They often use the analogy that you're going two steps forward and one step back. And so what happens in, these, in, in this process, as it were, is that you, you're reaching levels of states, maybe even vibrational states, you could say, or states of consciousness that are momentary and maybe giving, maybe giving you glimpses of a more mm, fully awakened version of yourself. Um, so you get the glimpses. And then what you seek to do is to repeat whatever you did to get the glimpse again. But that never often doesn't happen, usually. Because the glimpses you get are pretty... They, can, they often come when you're least expecting them. It's like insights. So, the, therefore, this idea of letting go, of dropping, becomes more important than the idea of grasping or seeking or trying to attain something. And 
And that's very difficult for us, for the conditioned mind, because everything in this relative world is gained by some form of effort. And if I say to you now that the thing that you seek is best achieved through effortlessness, then that's counterintuitive, because you think, well, what can be obtained without no effort? But the truth is that that, that which is already there can only be experienced with no effort. The moment you put any effort there, you're putting a wall between you and the state. The effort is the hindrance. And yet you often use the term for us is just, um, you just have to do the work. So what's in our terminology? Yeah, I know. It's, it? it's, it, there, are, there are contradictions in this because at one level you do have to apply effort. Mm. But the effort that you apply is the effort that you need to do to drop the effort. It takes effort to be effortless because you're fighting against the tendency to apply effort. And the best proof of that is if you're trying to meditate. If you sat down, and most people fail or or at least disappoint themselves um, because they have some concept that they're going to close their eyes and their minds are going to be totally still. And that's meditation. Guarantee 90% of people that if you ask what meditation is, they say having no thoughts. And that is actually one of the biggest obstacles to meditating that there is. Because you can't have, you can achieve a state that is relatively thought free or even perfectly thought free, but you never achieve it through trying. And so what they immediately do is the moment they're sitting there and a thought comes, they'll try not to have the thought. And of course, the moment you feed the thought with awareness, then you're strengthening it because thoughts thrive on the, the, the food of thought is awareness. So the, the technique that you're given is designed to um, put the mind into neutral, to, to encourage, uh, to bring about a state of effortlessness through distracting a whole barrage of thoughts with a single thought initially being the mantra or you can use breath or you can use visualization or you can look at a mandala or something like that any of those things that are designed to corral the array of thoughts into a single point initially and then ultimately you release the point but you release it with no effort so that's the key to the process so we've established that the thing that we practice is 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 one of the best examples of the point around just being if you if you really want to meditate effectively then you should never be trying you should sit there at the allocated time for the allocated duration and you should just do the process without any expectation or without any um, attachment to the outcome and just be and the sooner that, that you can re- reach a state where you can just let everything drop then the sooner you enter the infinite so all that's a long way of saying that there is no journey at, that, in, at this level of analysis but then you'd say well you'd still have to sit you still had to make the commitment, you still had to get the training. Isn't that effort? 
and the thing is, well, yeah, that is effort, but that's not the effort. That that's the almost the prerequisite, the preliminary stuff. It's like before you can be a doctor, you got to go to medical school. So you have to do the preparation. It's the preparatory effort. But the actual process of moving from um, where the mind currently sits into the state of pure being should be effortless. Effortless. Um, and so I had this thought today There's this term, have you ever heard of the term undifferentiated awareness? So this is a sort of an insight. It goes like this. Awareness can be differentiated or undifferentiated. Differentiated awareness means I'm aware of the flowers. I'm aware of the glass. I'm aware of the floor. I'm aware of my body. It's being aware of a specific phenomenon within the field that's differentiated and the mind does that all the time we're constantly differentiating we're seeing difference differentiate means to see difference to see something as separate so that's the state that's the state of mind within the relative existence it's constantly in a state of differentiation and in fact this is it's in the state of differentiation that the pairs of opposites arise so the pairs of opposites is the inherent duality that characterizes the relative state. The inherent duality means hot and cold, good and bad, beautiful, ugly, adequate, inadequate, intelligent, unintelligent. You, you know, you can think of any word, any concept, any attribute, and there will be an opposite to it. And in the relative world, we are constantly navigating the pairs of opposites. We live in a world that rewards um, selective um, selective what? Making choices. When you think about it, success is really a product of choice of the choice there. If you get to a point of success, you have to look at all the decisions that you made to get to that point. And so you're using judgment and you're, you're using the differentiating aspect of mind that sees pathways and this way is better than that. And again, this is important and necessary in this physical material world. But if you want spiritual progress, that's not obtained through ultimately through well there's a degree of differentiation in the sense that you need to initially you start to make choices about your lifestyle about the people that you hang out with about the food that you put in your body about where you put your attention so there is a degree of differentiation at the beginning but eventually when you get to the ultimate state everything merges and there's no longer any need to differentiate Right, because it's all the same. It's, yeah. <laughs> the, the thoughts are tremendous. Oh, you don't have to think anymore. Right. Yeah. Even thought is differentiation. Mm. Because you have one thought that a thought is not another thought. Mm. 
see just be. And at that point, the mind naturally quietens down. See, the thing that obscures the being is the constant activity of the mind that's saying, um, you know, it's the narr narrator. I should be doing this. Or whatever the thought stream is that you're carrying. But when you come to see that that's just, a, that's just energy, it's just movement in, in a field, you start, you, you, can, you start to have the ability to just drop the story, if you choose, right? So if you're carrying a story, what's that doing to you? It's, it's governing your perception of the world at that moment, isn't it? If you wake up in the morning and you say, I want something to, to happen and it doesn't happen, then immediately it catapults you into a state of being that is we call suffering. So the sooner that you can arrive at the point where you can witness the thoughts, allow them to be, still engage in your activity, obviously you can't, you know, you're a teacher, you can't stand in front of the class and say, well, there's no need for any learning, just be. Sometimes it's, that's their thoughts. <laughs> that's all they want to do yeah. is just be. You know, anything that, that we try and achieve here doesn't. You don't. You can't use that approach. Well, you can actually if you wanted to go to the ultimate state. You use pure manifestation. In fact, that's the state you have to be in if you want to perform miracles. That's where you need to be. You need to be in the state of effortless. Um, creativity. But that's a very rare thing. I mean, when Jesus turned water into wine, you know, read all these accounts of the great masters that can do these miracles. You know, it's a pretty fascinating idea for us to contemplate how they can defy the laws of physics, walk on water. And, you know, th there was enough documented evidence, I think he actually did do that. And I'd be pretty sure because I'm sure that there are guys in India where he apparently spent time that, that taught him how to do that. So, so what, is it, what does it mean when you reach a state where you can just rearrange nature? But, but I would say that the, in that state they're not applying much effort, if any. They're, they're on another level. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about effort, ultimately. This is what this discussion revolves around. And then I wanted to do a little detour and talk about um, the process of self-inquiry. And I might read some of this because this is a good way to start. Using Ramana Maharshi as the major exponent of this whole school of philosophy. He says, now remember this is only one school, so there will be other schools that will take a different view to this, but this is just one approach, a way of seeing the world. He says,
Okay, so the question is, is the study of science, psychology, physiology, etc. helpful for attaining yoga liberation? Or for intuitive understanding of the unity of reality? And he says, very little. Some, some theoretical knowledge is needed for yoga and may be found in books. But practical application is what is needed. So he's talking a little bit about this preparation. Now, personal example and instruction are the most helpful aids. As for intuitive understanding, a person may laboriously convince himself of the truth to be grasped, grasped by intuition of its function and nature, but the actual intuition is more like feeling and requires practice and personal contact. So he's implying that there is initially what we were saying, some initial effort is required, some practice, but the intuition itself, in this case the intuition, intuiting truth, is a feeling that just arises once you get into the habit of doing it then you don't need much effort this isn't really what I wanted to talk about here's a good one is the world real or an illusion this is where he goes into the whole non-dual theory right what we were talking about before so in the world <coughs> In the world where there's pairs of opposites, in that view of the world, there is duality. But the, but the state of self-inquiry leads you to a state of non-duality, as an experience of the unity in all things. So, so he talks about reality, and they say, what is reality? And he says, reality must always be real. Right, so that's almost a tautology. It has no names or forms, but is what underlies names and forms. It underlies all limitations, being itself limitless. See that idea that reality is limitless? This accords very much with... Um, what Nisargadatta says, that what is real is that which doesn't change. If it changes, it's not real. So he's saying, if it's real, it's limitless. It underlies unrealities, being itself real, it is that which is. It is as it is. It transcends speech and is beyond description, such as being or non-being. So this is nice. So he's going straight to the description of the absolute state and he's saying you can't even describe that. So you can imagine then, use your mind to imagine, that there is a state that can't be described by words, that is limitless, that is unchanging, and underlies all reality. In other words, all what we call reality is contained within it, but it itself is not that. It's, it's beyond that. Things occur within it, but it is greater than all the, the parts that it contains. You could call it God, same thing. Right, so then in this discussion of whether the world is real or not real, The answer is, it's both. 
real and unreal. The real aspect of the world is the part we can't really we can't see. The unreal part of the world is the part that the senses tell us is real, but isn't real because it's not because it's transient. So then when you come to deal with your thoughts, you have to reflect on the transient nature of the thoughts. Their thoughts can't be real in the, in this by this analysis because they're not because they change. Except when you stuck on one of those, you know, the Well, they're, they're repeating, but they're different thoughts. Oh, you mean as in separate? Yeah, but each individual thought is not real, because it's, it, it, it's like a bubble. You know, if you pour a drink of beer or lemonade, it's, and you watch the bubble. This is exactly how thoughts are th formed. If you ever watch a bubble, they actually form right at the bottom of the vessel. And they rise up, and then they pop. Right? And in fact, if you look carefully, the bubble actually expands. If it was under the water, if you went scuba diving, you could see this better. At depth, a bubble can be start off quite small, but as it gets closer to the surface, it gets bigger because there's less water pressure on it. So it expands. This is exactly what thoughts are. So they start at the level of the unconscious, the unmanifest in the field of pure potentiality where there is no thought actually at that point and then something happens, a stirring occurs and out of nowhere a thought arises and as it rises it grows and the more awareness that's given to it, it grows and then suddenly it, it's right there and then it pops, it doesn't really pop, it just well, you try and see if you can find a thought Close your eyes. It's quite difficult because they're pretty abstract, hairy little things. I mean, let's do it another way. Let me give you a thought. So if I give you the thought what am I having for dinner tonight? How long can you hold that thought before it becomes something else? It does grow. It grows, doesn't it? But then after a while you can't hold on to it. Unless, but unless you're repeating it. But that's not the same thought, that's, you're just giving a succession of thoughts. But if you just said one thought and then let it go, where does it go? It sort of just dissolves into the ether. Can you do that? So, I mean, you may have success or not so much with this, but the purpose of the exercise is to demonstrate the, the transient nature of thought. And that if you're present, very present, 
and you're watching your thoughts, you can see they just come up and then they, they die and another one comes. And so you're just watching them as if you're watching something leaves flowing down the river. There's a leaf, there's a leaf, there's a leaf. So going to this question of what is real, Ramana Maharshi would say that these things are not real because they don't last for very long. So therefore don't invest them with any particular importance. Because they're not going to be around, for, they're only going to be around for as long as you want to feed them. It's like you've got this zoo of thoughts, right? And you've, got, you've, you've captured these thoughts and you're feeding them. And they're going to be doing what they do. Or you can just let them go. Is that the ego pushing them along? Some thoughts will be egoic thoughts. Thoughts are additional, and we can get this as a whole other discussion. We talk about the nature of thoughts. If, again, if we're applying differentiating thinking, we can start to. There's two ways you can approach thoughts. One is through the process of categorization, where you start to evaluate the thoughts and judge the thoughts, and then you say good thought, bad thought, and you're into duality. Or you can just say thoughts, thought, you tag and release, thought, let or, it go. Or you don't let it go and it becomes your, your visual world or something. If you live according to the thought field yeah. that, you're, that you dwell in, yeah. that does become your reality. Yeah. Because the thoughts that you hold governs your perception. And your perception creates your behaviour. And your behaviour creates the way that you interact with things and then the interaction with things creates consequences and the consequences give rise to more thoughts and so you're on this cycle that's if you're living in that mode or you can do the other thing which is just say say you've got an unhelpful thought pattern that has arisen someone shows you this secret and says well You've got a choice in this moment. You can invest emotional energy into that whole construct, or you can just see it as thought. Mere thought. Mere temporary, unreal, ultimately insignificant thought. What if it's not your thought? What if it's a conversation? Could be someone else's thought. Actually, just say this. How many of the thoughts that you're carrying are not actually your own thoughts? Mm-hmm. That's another thing. That's a big one to watch out for. Who put those thoughts in your head? How did they get there in the first place? Is that then more of an opinion? A could be an or opinion. Or it could be conditioning. Could be your mother's voice from thirty years ago. Um, and and it's all buried in the subconscious, and then it, they'll come up. These are the scars of the past, the samskaras, that we try and address in Yoga Nidra, which is where you've got all this, all these seeds that haven't yet germinated. And they're coming out in certain circumstances that some situation will just trigger a thought that you didn't have for a long time, and then it's back again. You thought you'd resolve that, but it's not resolved because it's still there. 
But over time, as the practice of yoga and these techniques, it starts to weaken the power of those thoughts. And you start to develop discrimination, where you can start to have some judgment. Again, there's a little bit of effort, but it's more one of vigilance, where you just say, you reach a point, maybe it's a crisis that brings you to the point where you say, look, these thoughts are not serving me. These beliefs are not serving me anymore. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I don't want to be like this anymore. Have you ever reached that point in your life? In relation to things, people, whatever, situations? And you say, you know, I want to get off this treadmill. It's not serving me. It's not making me joyful not contributing to my peace. So how do you, what do you do? First thing you've got to do is come back to the basics and recognize what are thoughts? What are beliefs? Are they really that important in the scheme of things? If the answer is no, then you can begin to allow them to loosen their hold. You know, what beliefs are you holding on to now that are helpful beliefs? And what beliefs are you holding on to now that are limiting beliefs? And you start to exercise choice. You don't want a new computer system. That's a belief. But think, it why, is a belief. I'm let sure. me give you another belief. See, beliefs you can. The good thing about beliefs is that they're not permanent, they are actually subject to change. So they're not real. They're no. definitely not real. And but you know it's not real, and then you think, well, why, why does it induce anxiety when you have to make enormous change? Because like you're that? invested in the belief. Because mm. you, you've assigned to it more value than it actually deserves. Mm. It's but, like, but you assign to it the things that will go wrong. You, why do you look at it in that, such a negative light? Because that's conditioning or fear. And so I give you another belief. See, the good thing about beliefs is you can swap, you can trade them. them. Yeah. So here's another belief. Why don't you allow yourself to have the belief that you're going to really enjoy the new computer system that you're about to get, and you don't know sure yet for sure exactly how that's going to happen, but you feel, you hold the feeling of the wish fulfilled. This is um, what's his name, Neville Goddard's approach. Hold, this is manifestation. Hold the feeling of the wish fulfilled. So forget about the how do I get from A to B and just imagine that you're already at B and imagine how it feels to be at B and dwell in that state of the feeling of the wish fulfilled. Do you feel the power of what I'm saying here? It's an incredibly powerful concept. And so here you are in front of your new computer system and you may not even be able to see it clearly, but you know the feeling that you've got, and it might be one of joy, delight, relief, um, um, satisfaction, or, yeah, that if you, were, if you could be given the most perfect computer system for you now, tomorrow, that met all your needs, and happen easily and effortlessly, how would you feel? Blissful. Right, so be that. 
and then just go through the motions. And suddenly, where was the belief? Where's the belief now that this is going to be a horror show? Not there anymore, because you've, you've transplanted it, you've substituted it for a more positive belief. Now all you have to do is keep energizing the new belief. Well done. Yeah, high five. You're there. See? It's easy, really. It's just a question of are you willing to drop the belief that's holding you back? If well, so, it's years and years, like you say, of conditioning and, and yeah. it takes a long time. But, why, but this time it can be different. Give yourself permission to have a great experience here. So that's the power of positive thinking, is what this is. That you're saying, I'm ready now to relinquish that limiting belief that has been ma making this such an unpleasant experience for me. And I'm willing to embrace a new belief that uh, everything will be fine. Right, take the bushfires. I don't seriously believe that we're going to be affected here. If I chose to, I could create fear and be in that frame. And you never know, I might end up creating it. Um, but at the very least, I'm dwelling in a state that is not optimal. It's not giving me joy. So instead, I choose to believe that everything will be fine. I don't know how it'll be fine. I don't need to know the mechanics of this. So this is where trust comes in. Got to have a bit of faith in this process. So there are little tools that we use. One of them is faith. Have you got faith in yourself? You have faith in yourself. You know, if push comes to shove in an emergency, you can you can be present and respond appropriately. You've got capabilities, you've got resources, you've got support. So what's there to worry about? So then you can return to the now. See, you've been through a little journey, a little exercise, a little excursion around the mind. And you've seen that thoughts are just these temporary little energies that come and go. No big deal there. And you see that beliefs are embedded thoughts that carry emotional energy, that are ready to spring up and create a new... See, the, the beliefs feed the thought stream. The beliefs feed the type of thoughts that you have in relation to a situation. See, have you ever found a person that you developed a dislike to? And whatever they said, you just see it negatively. Even if they said something potentially positive, you would think, oh, they're trying to manipulate me, or you'd put it in a negative light. Isn't that true? Isn't that what we do? We, once we peg someone to be a certain type of person, then they're irredeemable. They, you know, it takes a lot, unless you can use the other tool of forgiveness. So there's trust and faith, and then there's forgiveness. See, forgiveness is another one. Forgiveness is good for changing beliefs. Until you use forgiveness, there's many thoughts you can never drop. Because you're still carrying the energy of the revenge or anger or resentment. So what point are you ready to forgive? And here's the thing. You're not forgiving them for them. You're forgiving them for you. They may be completely unworthy. I know some guy that was abused as a child. I might have told you this. 
And he thought he'd start sending death threats to the abuser. And he asked me my opinion and I said, well, how's that going to help? And he said, well, that'll make me feel a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, it might for a little while. But I said, is it going to help you resolve this within yourself? And he said, I don't know. And I said, has it ever occurred to you? I said, this could be really tough. It might be the hardest thing that you might ever have to do. But could you ever see a situation arise where you could actually forgive this person? And he goes, no, never. That bastard is never worthy of forgiveness. And then I said, no, but you don't forgive him for him. It may be true that he's a bastard. He may forever be that. But the point is, how long do you want to carry this for? It's hurting you. It's a tough one, but really it's the only way through this stuff. That kind of pain, you have to forgive. Nothing's unforgivable. Well, it is if you won't, if you won't yourself, allow yourself to forgive, then it's unforgivable. But if you could move into a frame where you might say, I'm, I've reached a point where this is not serving me, this belief, this attitude, this animosity is not serving me. Because I feel like crap every time I think about this. Or maybe it's time to rearrange the deck chairs. I thought when you're talking about if you take a dislike to someone, or so they do something, they're not the one with the issue, it's, it's you with the issue, then you, they, they don't even know right. being their own self. And, That's right. And you're, you're taking it all on board and exactly. that, that energy. You know, they're just eating the toast really loud. <laughs> you're the one getting annoyed, they're just eating the toast. I watched a video last night, it's called Phantom Thread, have you seen it, with Daniel Day-Lewis? Phantom Thread. Fascinating. It's a, a fashion designer. And he's hypersensitive, he's very creative, but he's a real, can be a real dick in the sense that he's very temperamental. And intolerant. Yeah, and so he's sitting, she's sitting at this girl that he's found that he actually falls in love with. He's sitting at the breakfast table and he's trying to design because he's always sketching. And he takes exception to the way she's eating a toast and how she's buttering it and it's too noisy and it's distracting him. And he completely spins out. And all she was doing was eating a toast. So it's like, who's the one with the problem here? If he doesn't like it, he could go to the other room. You know, there is that option. So, I mean, what what are you holding on to that you should just deal with? It's your own. It's always yourself. Everything always comes back to yourself. If you don't like something that's happening externally in the world, Look within. This is where self-inquiry is really good. This process of when you start to look inside and say, what is it about me that reacts to that situation? Then you're on the pathway to understanding. I think you only need forgiveness and compassion for yourself Absolutely. Absolutely. Always start with yourself. It sounds selfish, but you know, that's just a concept. There is only one self, ultimately. But start with this one. Yeah, start with this one.
Here's where the problem resides. My problems can only ever reside in me. And the way that I choose to respond is my, is my gift. That's the gift you've been given, is the way that you choose to respond is always yours. We come along then if there's people um, that you don't get along or you've decided you don't like the way they do things or speak or whatever. Mm-hmm. Where does that, where does it lie with choosing to not see those people mm-hmm. anymore? That's an option. You've always got options. This is the other thing. We think we don't have options, but you've always got options. Um, you can choose not to see them, or you can see them differently. You can see that you're the one with the problem. You can forgive them, see if that changes things. Actually, forgiveness is very powerful because if you've forgiven someone and you see them having forgiven them, you find often that they change. You don't have to tell them you forgave them, but some magic happens in the process of forgiveness. But you're not, you're not carrying this like prickly energy anymore. So that's what they've been responding to. Probably it's as much your fault as theirs, in a sense, because you're triggering how they, you know, it's like a reverberation. You're bouncing off each other. So if you can change your posture, then you often find that that person changes as well. So these are all the dynamics of mind, attitudes, beliefs. This is the thing that yogis are interested in because in the end, suffering is all a product of these unhelpful thought patterns. And if we want to be in our joyful nature, then we have to drop the baggage of the beliefs and thoughts and patterns and behaviours and attitudes and conditioning that is, is no longer serving us. And that's a very courageous step to take, actually, because one of the easiest things in the world is to blame the other. Much easier than doing the work on you is to blame them. Look at Yeah. Oh, okay. right. so forgive him. <laughs> Uh, well, we have to. I know for to, ourselves, otherwise, you'd, yeah. every time you see him, you're angry. Yeah, or just do <laughs> what I do and just don't see him. Don't watch yeah. it. Well, well there you go. There you yeah. said about what yeah, you yeah, do, someone annoys you. Yeah. So, and you do that through meditation and yoga nidra? If you want to get rid of the underlying conditioning, the, the energy pattern that's stuck, that's giving rise to the reaction. It's the only true way, isn't it, is to eliminate it now. You have to eliminate it. You can't sublimate it. It doesn't go away no. if you push it under. So are they the only two ways? Yeah, that I know of. But then how, how does the world deal Unless with you want to go and confront them directly. But well, that, well, how does the world deal with those sorts when they're doing such, you know, damage? How does the world deal with them or how does yeah. a yogi deal with them? Well... The yogi goes off and lives in his cave, but if you... Or just you know, sees it as all just the play. Yes, yes. But the world, how does the world deal with it? Well, just have it for four years. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's right. That is that is a good strategy. Take the long-term view. I often do that with things. Uh, some of the things that they... One of the things that... Okay, I 
kept quiet at Cape Town because I've got those CDs that roll around in the car and mm. I hung with, and one of the yogis or something always says, oh, all things will pass. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that's true. That's a great, I do that a lot. It's like, you know, we've got pub noise here and it gets pretty bad and I've complained, but you get to the point where you just think, well, tonight they're not going to turn it down. I can either sit here and stew about it or I can just... Filter it out. Just, yeah, try and do something else and bullet and trust that at some point it's going to stop. Like some, the kid next door was banging on something this morning when I was trying to meditate. And I thought, and it was like longer than what a kid would normally bang on something for. And I'm thinking it wasn't rhythmic, it wasn't anything. I don't even know, maybe it was the chooks, but it was something that was making this repetitive, that random and asymmetric set of noises for probably 10 or 15 minutes. That just a challenge then for you? Yeah, I just thought, well, okay. I can either sit here waiting, I can either sit here and and be annoyed about it, or I can just accept the fact that it will end and just get back to what I was doing. Mm. So I did that, and the next thing I mean, uh, actually, right after I did that, the noise stopped. And I thought, oh, maybe I manifested that. When the moment I surrendered to it, and just let it be, then it ceased to trouble me anymore. This is the power of surrender, which is another strategy, you see. If you can't change the situation, and you can't you know, outweigh it initially, or maybe there's some other... If you can't forgive it, then surrender to it. Just let it be, knowing that all things eventually must pass, as George Harrison said. It's a very profound teaching. You got to take the long-term view. In our society, we're taking the shorter and shorter-term view, aren't we? Everything's getting compressed. We want everything now. You try emailing an Indian and see how long it takes to get a reply. They're in a different time frame. If I don't get an email in a day or two, I'm starting to think. Didn't get there. Yeah, either that or they're being really rude or whatever. Because in our culture, emails are replied to usually, not always. But in that culture, see, so even it's a cultural thing, how you view time. We come from a culture, you see, the Chinese culture, time is a very long-term thing. They take the long view, politically, socially, economically, it's always the long view. Here, politically, we're in a three-year cycle. That's the short term, and, and everything has to happen in that time. But nothing happens in three years. That's why our country is broken, really, at the moment, substantially, because nothing, there's no sustained effort in one direction. If you want to fire a rocket ship and get it into space, you need to apply thrust in a direction for a certain force, with a certain force, and for a certain period of time. You can't change, you have to hold it. If you want to progress in meditation, you have to hold or sustain a practice for a certain period of time and you have to be patient very patient you have to learn how to wait that's what meditation is actually it's the art of waiting for the thoughts to naturally subside of their own accord isn't it really and just hope nothing happens nothing will happen I said to my friend Dean that teaches meditation in Melbourne I said we sit here waiting for nothing to happen and when nothing happens we call that success So, 
there's some ideas anyway, but this idea of self-inquiry, which we didn't really get into too much, it's basically you return to the undifferentiated state of awareness of the I am. We can try it now. Close your eyes for a minute. So find the I am first. Just to you find your own sense of being. Not doing, just being. And it's always in the now, isn't it? So there it is. Thoughts can be there, but there's the fundamental underlying state of the being. And then you inquire, what is that? And you're not doing it intellectually, it's almost like you're trying to feel what it is. And the moment you begin that, the magic begins to happen, it draws you into itself and it reveals itself to you. As this very sweet, welcoming, sort of indescribable place. And an interesting thing happens. You then drop the I. If there was any I left, just drop the I am and just go with am, just go with being itself. And then there is no I. The I dissolves. And you know, that's pretty much the meditative state. You come out of that now, and it follows you out. You feel the power of that, just the being. The awareness of pure awareness of being that's it okay so we're going to meditate now